This is KVNG Grace 91.1 FM. Next up is a special Christmas message with Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. May today's message about the glorious birth and naming of the Christ child bring a special blessing to you and your family. Now, here's Pastor David Landry. Why don't you join me in prayer one more time as we begin the study this morning. Father, again, we thank you that we can come and we can be in this place today. The amazing reality of the hope of the gospel that's made possible through the birth of Christ. Father, as we get into the study of your word this morning, we pray that you would again open up that word to us in a way fresh and new. Not just once again the story, but Father, in a fresh and new way that you'd make it real to our hearts and lives this morning. Father, for any that are here today that don't know the Savior, that here in this place, they would hear the truth of the gospel, and your Holy Spirit would draw them to yourself. They would commit their lives to you, and their eternity to you. Father, that you would have your will in our life for your glory and for the honor and the glory of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And in his name we pray, amen, amen. Well, again, we're, we're glad that you're here this morning. And I don't know if you've noticed in our congregation that there is a, a bit of a growth that's taking place. There's several births that took place this last year. We have some new babies. And then I found out uh, here recently we actually have some more mothers that are expecting. So we're going to have some more babies coming up this year. So it's a really exciting time to see these young families, this, this young life coming in to the congregation. As much as I appreciate all of us who have the gray hairs and all, it's always just a blessing to have young families, young children coming in and being a part of it. And when a couple is expecting, when they're anticipating the birth of their child, the the discussion always comes up, what shall we name our child? What name shall we hang on this dear child that they're going to carry with them for all of their life? And for sometimes, uh, sometimes that can be a pretty uh, heavy discussion between a, a mom and dad, a husband and wife, as they're trying to figure out what shall we name our child that again is going to be a blessing to them. I mean, countless hours of stress for some people as they're trying to figure out. Because you know what? Names matter. Names matter. You want to get the name right. That that child, again, is going to carry that name for a long time. And many of you as adults, you, you understand that. You go maybe by your middle name instead of your first name. Or you go by a nickname instead of any real name that you've ever had because you don't necessarily care that much for the name that you were given. We understand that. Some, once they reach a certain age, they can actually change their names legally. And I know one of the brothers here, uh, uh, Bruce, uh, uh, Lorenzen. He changed his name. He was Gordon Lorenzen, but he always went by Bruce. And just last year, he got that legally changed. And I gave him a hard time. I said, it took you that long to figure that you could change your name. But uh, he did, and everything's fine now. So what do you name your child? Do you name them after your father or after a grandfather? Uh, I've got one grandson that's uh, named after his grandfather. Uh, his other grandfather. Uh, but, but the great thing is, is we both have the same name, David. Uh, he's named after both of us. So that, that works out really good. A- Andrew David Landry. Do you name him after your sister or after your aunt? 
uh, sometimes names change, not names change, but the, the popularity of names change through the years. And do you want to give them a name, you know, from many, many moons ago that is not going to be a real popular, a real good name now? What about the possibility of a biblical name? Now, biblical names are really good. And quite often, picking a good, solid biblical name, it helps people remember their name. Unless you go into very many of the names of the Old Testament. You don't want to have a name from the Old Testament that has like four or five syllables. And in those four or five syllables, there's only two vowels. Uh, you know, very difficult name to pronounce for anyone new. There's a lot of biblical names that you definitely do not want to give your child. Do not name your child, or as a grandparent suggests to your children, to name their children Ichabod, okay? Or, or Ahab, or Jezebel, or in the New Testament, Judas. You, you don't want to give a child those kinds of names to go through life. What about the name of a friend? Oh, he's, she's been my best friend forever. And suddenly you name that child that, and two years later, you and this best friend, you have a blowout, and now you're stuck with her name in front of you the rest of your life. Are you, you sure you want to do that? Make certain you want to do that. Uh, or, or do you simply pick one that flows well with your last name? And some names flow well with last names, some last names. There's nothing going to flow with that, so you just might as well pick a name that you like. I looked at the most popular names for children born in 2014, boys and girls. For the girls, the number one name for girls in 2014 was Emma. Number two was Olivia. Number three was Sophia. What's the deal with the us? Uh, uh, I don't know. But uh, for the guys, the three top names for the guys was Liam. Uh, some of you know the, the actor Liam Neeson. Uh, I guess that got really popular. Did you realize that Liam is actually a shortened version of William? Uh, and I didn't realize that till I looked at this study. Liam, number one in 2014. Noah was number two. Now, at first you think, Noah, that's a great name, until you think, did they name him after the Russell Crowe movie? Because that had absolutely nothing to do with the Noah of the Bible. Number three for the boys was Ethan. Ethan, a good, solid, powerful name. By the way, David was number 37 uh, last year. I looked for Alan and I looked for Robert, didn't even see them on the list, so I don't, I don't know. But names are important. Names are important because once you pick out a name for a child, again, they're going to be stuck with that for a long, long time. And babies have absolutely no voice in the selection of their names. But many times they have to live with them and in some cases live up to them or live down from them. Names are important because some people tend to become what their names represent. And often, so many times, we'll run across a person with multiple names. Our daughter, should she have been born a boy, would have gotten a name Jacob David Dash Daniel Landry. Why would we have done that to our child? I do not know, other than to say we were children of the 60s and 70s. So maybe that had something to do with it. But there's another uh, name, a very popular person. His name is Charles Philip Arthur George Windsor. He's got five names, Charles Philip Arthur George Windsor. You might think that that's pretty odd. It might be a pretty heavy load to lay on a child until you discover that that's actually Prince Charles 
of England. What a long name. When Can you imagine signing your full legal name on something? I guess with royalty, they need a long name. And so it is with Jesus. Do you realize that Jesus has a multiple of names? Some of those you see on, on the cross here. And that was one of the things that we want to see. Because his, in his names, again, it speaks of the, the variety of the aspects of his character, of his strength, of his impact on the world and all of his creation, and his impact with those that come to him. When the angel came to Mary... He says, you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the highest. So right there to Mary, he had two names, Jesus and son of the highest. And then the angel spoke also to uh, Joseph in in that dream and told Joseph, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. But then the angel continued on, quoting from Isaiah. He says, you shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. So son of the highest, Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus. And the name Jesus means God saves. That's quite a list of names to live up to. But, you know, I praise God. He lived up to every one of those very, very powerfully. But he had more names than that, too. Some of them, again, we, we, we find throughout the Word of God. But if you'll take your Bibles this morning, turn to a very familiar passage, Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. This was written nearly 700 years before he was born. And Isaiah prophesied that the Savior would actually have four additional names than the ones we've even looked at already. In Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 6, we read these words. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Each one of these four names unlocks an aspect of the character of Christ. They, they, they teach who he is and the, the, again, the impact of, of his life in all of his creation and the impact of his life in your life today. One of our carols that we sing many times during this time of the season asks the question, what child is this who's laid to rest on Mary's lap now sleeping? Well, this morning, if you have that question in your mind, I want you to listen to to Isaiah's divinely inspired answer to that. What child is this? This is the son that was given. This is the one who, again, the government shall be upon his shoulders. This is the one who shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. The very name Wonderful Counselor, it has the idea of, uh, in in the Hebrew understanding, it's, it's a wonder of counsel. He is a wonder of counsel. Speaks of the wisdom of his plan. Speaks of the understanding that he has of of all things. The word wonderful means astonishing. means extraordinary. And again, when the writers of the Old Testament wrote about the aspects and the activities of God, many times they used that word wonder or wonderful. It was extraordinary. It was astonishing. As we've shared over the last couple of weeks, sometimes it is bizarre. Amen? 
the way that God works. That word counselor, it means advisor or the ideal ruler. So he is a reliable counselor. Those who come to him, trust him, and follow him, you'll never be led astray. You may be led through some difficult times, absolutely, because when we follow him, sometimes our path is very, very difficult and very, again, dark at times. But when we follow him, we will never be led astray. There's individuals like Dr. Phils and other uh, uh, entertainment psychologists and counselors. There's other people within the community that, that make their living in counseling and, and in psychology. And sometimes their answers are good. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes it's profitable for the individual who's receiving the counsel. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes you have to pay upward to 150 to $350 an hour. And you don't know if it's going to be really good counsel or bad counsel. My suggestion to you is to seek biblical counsel. Seek the Word of God in your life and seek those counselors who aren't just Christians who are counselors but who are Christian counselors. They counsel from the Word of God. Jesus, coming as that wonderful counselor, He is the not only in, in that aspect of being a wonderful counselor, He's also the perfect teacher and the ultimate counselor. He gives insight into our lives through His Word, through the Holy Spirit, through Him speaking into us, through the counsel of other men and women who again come into our lives, the Lord working through them. And again, you need to understand the insight into His working in our lives. You need to remember that sometimes, and in fact many times, His plans are not our plans. Amen? Sometimes His ways are not our ways. He's going to accomplish things beyond our human comprehension. And He is going to do many times some bizarre stuff in our lives. Stuff that we do not understand. We may not understand for years. As a matter of fact, we may not understand our entire human life. It's going to be on the other side of glory that suddenly we'll be able to see, okay, now I see why this took place in my life. Now I see why we had to go through these things. He'll do the greatest work ever accomplished in your life if you allow Him. And He will do it successfully. You know what? A violent death on a Roman cross, that doesn't, uh, that doesn't make sense to man. That, that's not man's direction. To gain a victory, to gain a victory, uh, let's go through a violent death on the cross, makes no sense. Pretty bizarre. But yet that was God's plan. And that was God's purpose. The Lord carried it out perfectly. Let me give it to you another way. As a wonderful counselor, he gives true and correct direction to his people. And those who follow him will not walk in darkness, though they may have to walk through darkness. You see, you can walk through darkness and yet not be in darkness yourself. What did the psalmist declare? David says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. There are some places that God will lead you that will be fearful. They will be dark places. 
But you don't need to walk in the dark because in the midst of the darkness that's around you, you can be walking in the light of his counsel and of his leading in your life. In this tiny baby, we see all the wisdom of God wrapped in swaddling clothes. What child is this? Why, he's the wonderful counselor. He's also the mighty God. That phrase, the mighty God, that speaks of, again, the power of his accomplishments. First of all, it's a, it's a statement of his deity. That baby born in the manger wasn't just the son of God. He was also God, the son. And all the fullness of God dwelt in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as the creeds of Christianity declare, he is very God of very God. And you can never be, you can never say that over any other human baby at all. He is Literally, God the Son. What an amazing thing. Very God of very God. There's something else important in that title. That, that word that's translated mighty is the Hebrew word gibor. And gibor means the strong one. It means the powerful, the valiant warrior. And so that whole term, mighty God, is actually a military title. He is the God who fights for his people. At the Incarnation, Almighty God took the form of human flesh. That's why one of his names was also Emmanuel, God with us. God taking upon himself human flesh, dwelling among us, literally pitching his tent among ours. He tabernacled together with us. You take those two titles together, you find him as the wonderful counselor. That means that he makes the plans for our lives. But also the fact that he is the mighty God. That means that he is more than able to work those plans out in our lives. All of his wonderful plans are going to be carried out with all of God's infinite might, all of God's infinite wisdom, and at just the right time in our life. I've often said that God is never late. He's seldom early, but he's always on time. He's always on time. And at just the right time, God sent forth his son to be born of a virgin. When was that time? A time of God's choosing. What about in your life? The timing, the situations of your life, when we trust God in all things, we can trust Him to work out His plan, His purposes. He has the might, He has the ability and the power to do that when we trust Him fully. All of His wonderful plans are going to be carried out in our lives. There in this little baby is the strength of the deity, the power of God in those tiny little fists. He has strength, which was the strength of divinity, the strength of God, the omnipotence, the all-powerful of Almighty God were at His commands. And whatever He desires, He is able to accomplish that in our lives. And when we meet Jesus, you need to understand, when you come to Jesus, you come to God. We meet God. If He is not the mighty God, the mighty God, not a mighty God among many, but the mighty God, if He is not that, then you know what? You and I are deceived, and it's absolute blasphemy to worship Him. There's no middle ground here. Either Jesus is God in human flesh, or we cannot and should not be worshiping Him. If He's not God 
then we are fools to worship him. But if he is God, we are fools not to worship him. Many of you have heard the name of Charles Dawkins. He, he, he's best known as an evolutionary biologist. He's also, also an author and he is a staunch atheist. As a matter of fact, I, I would call him a fanatical atheist because he is so against, again, the, the, the teachings of, of Christ, the, the, the Word of God. He, he wrote a book in 2006 called The God Delusion. And in that book, Dawkins contends that a supernatural creator almost certainly does not exist and that religious faith is a delusion. Is a delusion. So he would look at you and I today and say, you are all fools. You are all deluded by your religious faith. Now, now, not only does Dawkins not believe, but he has this continuous animosity toward not only the faith, but those who are in the faith, and particularly the Christian faith. Oh, he says Muslim faith is ridiculous, Jewish faith is ridiculous, uh, Confucius, Buddhist, Baha'i, all of those are ridiculous. But he seems to have this certain penchant against Christianity. There's this great animosity. He considers, again, faith that, that it's, that's not based on evidence that he agrees with. He believes that faith is one of the world's greatest evils. As a matter of fact, uh, a week or so ago when that, uh, again, attack took place in Pakistan, all those children were, were murdered there, uh, Dawkins came out and says, that is the evil of religion in our world today. Now, that's the mindset of this man. I tell you what, if he were to pass away right now, entering into eternity in this current state of disbelief, you know what, he'd no longer be an atheist. He, he would know right away that there is a God. He'd suddenly stand before the mighty God whom he refused to worship in his life, and he would realize all too late who the fool really was. Pray for Richard Dawkins. He's a man who needs Christ. He's desperately, desperately lost. And yet he was raised as a child in the church. But when he got into, again, college life and began studying the teachings of Darwinism, he rejected all the faith and he moved right into his humanism. Men like Carl Sagan, brilliant minds, but Carl Sagan in his death saw that there really was a God immediately. These men that, again, proclaim these things, they're not our enemies. There's one enemy and that's Satan himself. And he works through the minds of brilliant men, deceiving them, even in their learning, against the things of God. In the light of all that, let me repeat what I said just a moment ago about Jesus. If Jesus is not God, then we're fools. We're fools to be here this morning. We're fools to worship him. But if he is God, then we'd be absolutely foolish not to worship him and not to give our lives to him completely. Despite all of their great learning and all of their notable achievements, men like Carl Sagan, Richard Dawkins, and a whole host of others, they're going to die a fool's death because they refuse to bow their knee before that babe of Bethlehem. Christmas is a great dividing line in, 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 in the human race. 
Because again, if Jesus was just a man, then all that we do as Christians is vain. If, if it's not true, then we're not only wasting our time here this morning, we are actually deluded and deceived in all of our lives for those that have given their lives and have turned their lives completely over to Him and are following Christ in, in this desire to just know Him and to grow in Him and to be found obedient to Him in every aspect of your life. If it's not true, if Jesus Christ is not God, then everything you're doing is in vain. And it's going to be empty. It's going to be useless. But he is God. He is God. And when we realize that he is God, one of the other things that we need to be careful of is that we don't slip into this sentimental nonsense that makes Christmas kind of a a feel-good ecumenical holiday. Well, that we don't mention Christ, that we just, yeah, great celebration, but we don't focus in on the real reality of Christ. We, of all people, need to focus in on the reality of the reason for this season. Why we have a holy day designated to, again, declare the gift of Christ to us. It's no wonder that some people want all mention of Christmas removed, totally erased from our public schools, from the public life. The schools and even our government, they want to recognize a winter holiday because they understand that Christmas is based on a belief that in Bethlehem on that night so many years ago, God incarnate was born, and they reject that truth. But they don't realize, again, that that holiday is actually a holy day. That's where they get the word from. If that babe in the manger is mighty God, then when we rely on him, we are relying on God himself in our lives. If he is or because he is mighty God, we need, again, that divine assistance within our lives that he brings into our lives. Satan and sin would defeat us every day. But he is the mighty God. And through his death, burial, and resurrection, he conquered Satan, he conquered sin, and he conquered death. And so we, who were dead in our trespasses and sin, can now have life. In this tiny baby, we see the power of God asleep on Mary's lap. What child is this? He is the mighty God. He's also the everlasting father. Again, the Hebrew phrase here is literally the father of eternity, the father of eternity. And again, this speaks of the character of his coming. He is before, he is above, he is beyond, he is outside of all time because he dwells in eternity. He is the possessor of eternity. And he is eternally like a father to his people. Now, I, I have to admit, when I look at this and I say, he's the everlasting father, then my brain kind of does this calisthenics of saying, well, wait a minute, there's God the Father, then God the Son. If he's God the Son, then how can he be God the Father? Because there's a separation between the two, though they are all one God. How does that work? Well, the truth is, again, he is like a father. 
He cares for his people. And because he owns eternity, he gives to us that eternal life through faith in him. And that's so important for those of us who live in the sin-cursed planet. No one lives forever. Sooner or later, we're all going to find our own place in the graveyard. That's going to happen. Sometimes it's very suddenly. Sometimes we know it's coming from a distance out. But every one of us, that is going to be our end unless the Lord comes and takes us out of here before that. We are mortal. We are transitory. We're here today. We're gone tomorrow. We're but a breath, a vapor, the Word says. And you know what? If Christ was not eternal, He would do us no good. Because again... We, as dying men, we need an undying, eternally living Christ, who even now stands at the right hand of the Father, ever interceding on our behalf. Another key to our understanding, He is the Father who is faithful forever. That's important because some of you that are here today, you don't have the experience of a faithful Father. And perhaps in your life, your relationship with your earthly father was questionable at best. Maybe you you never even knew who your earthly father was. The fact is, is all earthly fathers, we fail in one way or another. Even the best of fathers, they're going to fail in one way or another. And all fathers will pass away someday. You may be here this morning and, and your father has passed away. And you've held, felt the, the heartbreak and the loss of that. He is a father forever. He's just what we need in our lives. And in this tiny babe, we see the love of God, the eternality of God, the everlastingness of God, sleeping in a stable. What child is this? He's the everlasting father. But he's also the prince of peace. That phrase, again, literally means the prince whose coming brings peace. The prince whose coming brings peace. And again, this speaks of the effect of his coming. This final title really is kind of a, a climax of all of these titles that have gone before. The word prince means something like the, the general of the army. It speaks again of his high position. Not that he is secondary as a prince, but no, it means as a leader, as a commander type of an idea. And the word peace speaks about his basic nature, his character. He brings peace when he comes into a life. And right now this morning... There are more wars raging in our world than at any other time this century or last. All over the globe, there are countries at battle against each other. There are ethnic conflicts within one community or one country, different ones coming against each other. There are tribal wars. Closer to home, there's not a day that goes by within our own country that within a multitude of cities within our country, people are being murdered murdered many times for absolutely no reason at all sometimes out of hatred sometimes just out of uh, again payback for uh, a wrong that they felt i think of those two new york policemen who were executed the other day who had absolutely nothing to do with the other situation or the death of that other man in new york city but because of the anger because of the hatred two men stepped into eternity because of the anger of that man and then he ended up shooting himself We live in a a, a torn world, a 
world with absolutely no peace. People safely in their homes, and they have an invasion into their homes. People busting down the doors and coming in and taking lives, harming people, stealing. Used to be we'd send our children off to school and we'd feel absolutely at peace that our children were in school for the day. They were going to be cared for. They were going to be protected. It's not necessarily true anymore, even in our own country. We live in a violent, violent land. We see so much killing that it no longer surprises us. Oh, it impacts us, yes. But it doesn't really surprise us anymore. It's not like, wow, I can't believe that that would happen. Fifty years ago, we might have that kind of a response. But not today. Today, the response is, that's horrible. That's horrible. Why do people keep doing that? It's because we live in a violent world. Isaiah 9, verse 6 tells us that God's plan for world peace is focused on one person, the Prince of Peace, a babe sleeping in a manger in Bethlehem. He is the ultimate man of peace. In the past, his coming made peace with God available to all through his death, burial, and resurrection. He made that peace available. In the present, those who come to him find peace in their hearts through him. And in the future, in his second coming, he's going to usher in that kingdom of peace. But in this world today, there is no peace. There's so much strife, so much bloodshed. The only peace that can be found is in the heart and the life of an individual who fully and completely entrusts their lives into his care. That's why we can walk through the valleys of the shadow of death and fear no evil. That's why we can walk into the darkness but not be in the darkness. That's why in this world, There's so many tribulations, but yet we can have good cheer. That's why he, when he comes, is able to bring peace into our lives in the midst of the storms of our lives. But you know what? In this world, around this world, the ideal isn't here yet. Peace is a wonderful thing, but it's hard to find in this world. Once sin entered into this world through Adam's fall, death entered into this world. And with death came the breaking of peace. But God's ultimate plan for peace doesn't rest in in the roadmap of of peace. It doesn't rest in, in treaties. It doesn't rest in education. It doesn't rest in progress. As good as education is, as good as progress is, those things, you're not going to find peace in those Peace doesn't come through material prosperity, though so many people seek for more and more material prosperity. The one thing that I've found out in my short life is those that seek for more and more material prosperity are usually the ones that have absolutely no peace in their life because how much is enough? Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. If your life is focused on material prosperity and what you can get and gain out of life, you'll never have complete peace because there's always something more. God's plan for peace is the maker and prince of peace, Jesus Christ. To know him is to know blessing and happiness. To live without him is to be restless and miserable. 
He, he's, he's not a greedy conqueror. He doesn't come in as an empire builder. He comes in to bring peace. And he brought peace. And he brings peace. And he will continue to bring peace. And in this tiny baby, we see the very peace of God welcomed by angels and by shepherds. What child is this? He is the Prince of Peace. And in this one verse, we have all four of these names of Jesus. And this is what they mean to us today. I want you to think of this this morning. If you're confused in this world, if you don't know the direction you need to go in your life, you need to know that Jesus Christ is the wonderful Counselor. If you are weak in your life, you've got struggles in your life, there's not the strength to be able to, to carry on when the attack of the enemy comes and you have no strength within yourself to be able to stand against the foe. You need to understand that He is Almighty God. Are you scared in life? You feel there's no support around you. You feel there's, there, there, there's nothing there for you to be able to fall back on. You need to understand that He is the everlasting Father, a good Father, a great Father, the everlasting Father that will wrap His arms around you and carry you through the worst of the things in all of your life. Are you disturbed in your life? You have no peace. You, you walk in fear. You walk in a situation where you, you're just afraid of everything. You don't don't want to step forward. You can't go back. You don't know what to do. You need to understand that He is the Prince of Peace. When we come to Him, He brings these things fully and completely in our lives when we trust Him fully and completely with our lives. It was in 1809 and a traveler was passing through Kentucky. He stopped at a little general store there and As a traveler, he always wanted to know what was going on in the little villages and the towns as he went through. And so he asked the proprietor of the store, he said, well, tell me, what's the latest news around here? And the old guy at the store had been there like forever. And he said, well, nothing much. Nothing ever changes around here. It's just always the same. Although there was a baby born out at the Lincoln cabin last night, but really nothing much important has taken place. But that baby was the one who grew up to be Abraham Lincoln. You see, we never know what may happen in the world simply because a baby is born. And I'm certain that that innkeeper, he wouldn't have turned away that couple if he would have realized who that child was. But even Mary, Mary Mary didn't fully realize what it meant to be caring who she was caring. This was a process of learning and understanding for her. That little baby that was born in that little town of Bethlehem, he became the centerpiece of human history. We even uh, uh, date from his birth. B.C., before Christ. A.D., the year of our Lord. Uh, The Latin phrase, many of you know the Latin phrase. Uh, uh, Somebody say it really quick for me. Anno Domini, yes. In the year of our Lord, our calendars are dated by him. What child is this? He is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father. He is the Prince of Peace. One last thing, most important part of all of this, in this verse there in Isaiah. 
the first three words. What does it say? For unto us. Unto us. The gift of Christ is a personal gift of God to each one of us. He came to save the world, but you know, he does that one individual at a time. It is a gift that God gave specifically for you. This time of year, people are making lists, aren't they? They they want, you know, you tell kids and grandchildren and spouses, well, what do you want for Christmas? What do you want for Christmas? And they, they make the little list. Well, you know what? Our Father knew exactly what we needed, what we needed. And he wrapped that gift in the flesh and blood of that little baby there in Bethlehem. That gift for us in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, the gift of his son given for you and for I and for as many as would receive him. But you know what? It's got to be personally received. It's just like if I came up to you today and I said, I've got a gift for you. I want to give this gift for you. And you thanked me for it. And you said, oh, that's great. You don't need to do that. And I said, no, I, I want to give this to you because I love you and I, I picked this specially out for you. And you say, no, really, thank you, uh, but no thanks. And you turn around and you walk away. What value is that gift now to you? It's of absolutely no value. It's when you receive that gift of God in the fullness of faith. And you realize and in receiving Christ, our sin is washed away. And we enter into that eternal relationship with Almighty God. We come to Him as we receive that gift. My question to you this morning is, have you done that? One last thing as we close. The carol, O Little Town of Bethlehem. Phillips Brooks has a stanza that, that speaks directly to this point as he wrote the song. One of the verses says, How silently, how silently, the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. Where meek souls will receive him, still the dear Christ enters in. And so he does. And if that's not been your experience, I pray that it will be your experience today during this Christmas time. And you and I, if you are a believer here today, you know Christ. I just pray that you might come to know him even deeper during this season, during this time of taking time to meditate on the richness of God's gift for us. Would you stand with me, please? Father, we thank you for the reality and the truth of the gift of Christ. He came as a babe, but he grew. And in his growing and in his maturing, he was without sin. And he fulfilled completely all that you sent him to accomplish. He completed the task even to the point of becoming the sacrifice for our sin. Father, I pray this morning that in the busyness and the hecticness of this season, that your children, your church, the bride of Christ, will continue to center in on the reality of the hope that's found in him, the greatness of the gift 
that was given through Christ. And Father, if there's any here this morning that don't know him, that they would even take that opportunity today to enter into that relationship by the acknowledgement of their own sin, the need that they have in their life for a Savior, and that they would confess Jesus Christ as Lord. May your Holy Spirit work and move in lives. My heart's desire for you this Christmas season is that the Lord would bless you and he would keep you, that his face would shine upon you, that you would recognize and realize the graciousness of his gift and his work within you, and that you would know beyond of a doubt the greatness of his love, his passion and compassion for you. Merry Christmas to you all and a Christ-filled New Year.